Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church. So the Super Bowl was on, and it was live, and they were at the, they were at the arena, and this one gentleman is way up in the nosebleed section, and he has his binoculars, and he is right at the very, very top. But he's grateful to be there. But as he scans the audience with his binoculars before the game begins, he sees there's an empty seat on the 50-yard on the line about 15 rows up. He can't believe it. Why would there be an empty seat there? And so he decides to take the risk, and he, and he, and he starts to go down through the auditorium. You know it takes a long time to get from the nosebleed section down to the 50-yard line and, and then get into the 15th row midway through. But he does it. And he gets there, and the seat is still empty. And he moves over by the man, and he says, Sir, is this seat empty? And the man kind of downcast says, Yes, yes, I'm sorry that it is. And the man said, Well, well what, what's, the, what's the problem? And he said, Well, the problem is, he, he said, is, is my wife and I literally for 25, maybe even up to 30 years, I can't remember, but we've come to Super Bowls all over America. We've always planned to go. It's a big trip for us. But unfortunately, she passed. Oh, he just feels so bad. He says, that is just terrible, sir. But, but couldn't you have found someone to come with you for this game? He said, oh, no, because they're all at the funeral. Okay. Um, There is an untouched towel in your life, an untouched pitcher of water at the table of your life. And I want to know, and God wants to know, and you need to know what you're going to do with the untouched towel and the unused pitcher of water. You see, there is an opportunity here for you to be blessed question is, will you take the opportunity with the untouched towel and the pitcher of water? We go to the scripture in John chapter 13. It's going to appear, I believe, on the screen. I'm believing God. It's going to, there it is. Now, I'm not sure you can all read that, but to the extent that you're able, I want you to do what I traditionally do is to get you to read the scripture with me. I believe the reading of the scripture is so important and maybe this is the first time you've had opportunity to read it today, so let's do it together. Now, there's, there's 17 verses we're going to read, and what happens is we generally start out strong, but then we begin to... Which reminds me of uh, one of my granddaughters. I have five granddaughters. I'm happy to say that we have a grandson on the way. One of my granddaughters, she was put in the corner recently, and... She had to say repeatedly in the corner, I will not bite my sister. I will not bite my sister. I will not bite my sister. She had to say that repeatedly over and over and over again while she was in the corner. But she was starting to lose steam. And so my daughter said to her, you need to, you need to keep saying it. You need to say it loud and with conviction. I will not bite my sister. I will not bite my sister. And so she starts saying it out loud again, I will not bite my sister, I will not bite my sister, I will not bite my sister. But then she began to believe that my daughter wasn't paying any attention. She thought that my daughter had forgotten that she was there. 
And so she says, I will not bite my sister. I will not bite my sister. I will not bite my sister. When I get out of here, I'm going to bite her. <laughs> Are you ready to read the scripture? Ready? One, two, three. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Lift up your voices now. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Stop. We need to read that again because it's a key verse for this portion. Are you ready? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later on you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. Come on, let's lift up our voice. You're starting to be like my granddaughter now. Come on, lift it up. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. If set before example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now you know these things. You will be blessed if you do them. Now you know these things. You will be blessed if you do them. Now, now you know these things. You will be blessed if you, if you do them. Now you, you know these things, and you will be blessed if you do them. I love Leonardo da Vinci's picture of the Last Supper. And it's a neat photo. Um, it seems to me like they're saying, okay, I'm not taking the selfie. Who's taking the selfie? Not me. No, no. Did you forget your phone? I forgot. Well, well, yeah, but mine's not charged. <laughs> Why are they all sitting on one side of the table? To me, they're getting ready for their selfie. That's exactly what they're doing. Now, Da Vinci has a few problems here with this, with this, with this rendition, of course. The first problem is that they are sitting on one side of the table. The second problem is they're, all, they're sitting at a table to begin with because that's not what they sat. That's not how they sat at the Last Supper. They didn't sit at a table like that. 
Third problem is, and I'll get back to that in a second, but the third problem is you can see the windows. What do you see out the windows? Do you see that plane? It's not there. Either. No, um, but anyway, um, but that plane uh, is not there. But what you do see is, it's, is it light or dark? Light. When was the Passover meal served? In the evening, in the darkness. And so Da Vinci had a couple problems with it. Now listen, he painted a much better picture than I could paint, so I'm not criticizing him, and he seems like a nice guy. And uh, uh, when I saw him on TV a couple weeks ago being interviewed. So this is, a, this is a, a, just a, 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 an exceptional thing, but, they're, but they're, all, they're all sitting there on one side of the table. When in fact, the, the, the way in which the meal was served in a very crowded room, as the folks will find when they go to Jerusalem in a couple of weeks, um, they will find that Jerusalem, in the, inside the walled city, it is a very, very crowded, congested place. And they were in an upper room there, and these are 13 people in this upper room, and it was likely a very, very small room. And not only was it a very small room, but you sat on the floor on around kind of like a, a, a carpet or a, a, an area rug. And you, and you sat there, and it was very interesting because when you did, you, you kind of had to obviously sit on the floor, and when you sat on the floor, you, you had to do something with your feet. And what do you do with your feet when you're sitting on the floor at a table? Sister Ruth and I try this sometimes, but we usually give up and sit at the chair. But um, it seems so much more romantic when you're thinking about it. But it's, it's I mean, you know, you, it, it requires a degree of subtlety in your, in your ability to move. But, but you still have these these things at the end of your legs, which we call feet, sometimes I call them honkers. I mean, they're, they're, there's, there's 13 people, and there's 26 honkers, and they just come in off the street. And they're wearing very, very small sandals, right? I feel like a Maharashi or something. I could sit here all day. Too bad I couldn't get in the lotus position, but my physique doesn't allow for it. It'll probably not even allow for me to get up off this position without help. But anyway, um, so, so here they have, there's 13 of them, and they, they're wearing very thin sandals, and, and, and they've been outdoors, and they've been, they've been on dusty roads. We know that. We know that there's dust and dirt, but don't forget that there was, there was animals all over the place. And I don't know if you've noticed, but animals tend to leave a mark wherever they are. And, the, you know, Jerusalem was a, a nice city in many ways, and, and, and it, it did have a, 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 an ability to, um, uh, to, to deal with its own, own human waste and things, but there were still, you know, some babies who, who hadn't discovered pampers. And um, so th there was, you know, there sometimes was some little issues, and, and, and it just wasn't the most pleasant thing to walk on the streets and then come in and get your, no, you know, get your feet up near the food. And so in this, this great meal, this was a wonderful meal. This was Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, Easter dinner. In the, in the Jewish calendar, this was, a, was an amazing time of celebration and, 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 and solemnity at the same time. You think about sometimes Thanksgiving, what do you do at Thanksgiving? You... you, you it's, it's a great meal. 
and you have lots of friends, those of you who have friends, and you, have, you, 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 you just are enjoying yourself. But, but sometimes at the beginning of the meal, what do we do? We take time for a solemn, solemnness of it, and we, we pray, and we maybe go around the table and get everybody to say what they're thankful for. And everybody tells, you know, some story about what they're thankful for in the last year. And so we put a little bit of ceremony into the meal, don't we? Yes, Peter, we do. Okay. And so this Passover meal was a great time of self. They looked forward to it. And yet, on the other hand, it was a very staged meal with several different uh, uh, courses to the meal. Well, it was so formal that it wasn't meant to be eaten kind of standing up and ready to go, although the Passover meal did have an aspect of being in a hurry to it because that's what the children of Israel had to do when they left Egypt. And this meal commemorates that. What's interesting is when they came together, there were all kind of preparations. And it's referenced in Scripture. Who's going to make preparations? Who's going who's to get us? Who's going to go get the upper room? Who's going to get the food together? And how are we going to deal with making sure that this meal has the right balance of celebration and joy and yet solemnity as we recall God leading us out of the wilderness. You see, the table is a place scripturally of food, of fellowship, and even celebration and fun. I want you to know that God is into food, fellowship, and fun. Sometimes we say kind of self-critically, we say, well, we Pentecostals or we Transformation Church people or we, uh, you know, whatever, Christians, all, every time we get together, we have to have food. To which I respond, and the problem is, what's the problem with that? Biblically, you'll see that food is really a part of almost every celebration. In fact, so much so that the Apostle Paul had to caution them in, in the church of Corinth because they misused the, the use of food because they abused one another with food at their love feasts. And so it's important to understand that God is into food and he's into fellowship and he's into fun. Let's look at it. Abraham, he hosts angels around food who bring him a message from the Lord. The Old Testament father uses a table as a place of instructions. You can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, when you sit down with your children around the table, tell them why we are doing what we are doing. Great, great banquets are held by the patriarchs and kings. Joseph, what did he do? He reconciled with his family around what subject? Food. They were hungry and he had it. And, and the whole reconciliation dance between he and his family, what did it, what did it surround? It surrounded these mealtimes where they sat and ate together, and Joseph would have to get up and, and run to another room and cry and, you know, and all that because it, it, there was that, that reconciliation dance. Mephibosheth was told to belly up to King David's table. Mephibosheth, of course, was the crippled son of Jonathan, who was Saul's son. And it was a sign of reconciliation. Queen Esther, what did she do in order to get her king's attention, her husband's attention? She creates a big banquet for him. Solomon, he combined the two great interests of, of men 
food and sexual union because he romanced around the table. He says in the Song of Songs, he invited me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. The New Testament table was a place where the father of the prodigal, what happened when the prodigal come home? Did he bring him into his office and say, now son, here are the rules? No, he, he says, man, I can see him coming a long way off. Let's do what we have to do. And the, and the father humiliates himself by picking up his robe. You see, why do I know he picked it up? Because he ran. You could not ran with the robe down. He picks up his robe. He exposes his legs, which was a shame at that time. And he humiliates himself and runs to his son. And then he says, let's have a... The book of Acts is, is, is filled with references to food and tables, even the, even the feeding of the poor. In fact, one of the great debates, the first great debate in the church was over food. Did you know that? Certain widows were getting more food than other widows. It was over food. And then, of course, the Scripture says that we're heading to a great feast. Revelation chapter 19 says, Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're going to a great meal. We're heading to food. Food is your destiny. What are they talking about with Jenny Craig and all this other food foolishness? Food is your destiny, baby. So let's waddle on up to the, to the, to the throne room of heaven. You see, some of our best memories are found around the tables. Meals with family and friends, the food, while important, is not usually what we remember. But the experience of the food, of the fellowship, and of the fun is what we remember. I remember my grandfather's table in Point de Chain, the Point of Oak. In Point de Chain, New Brunswick. And uh, I remember his table. I, I was just a little boy. My mother was the oldest of 14 children. And uh, so when she was up and gone from the home, there was still, I think, one child born after she left the home. And so there was a lot of, you know, variance in age. And, and so she brought us as children home to see her father and her mother. And her brothers, a couple of them still lived in the home. And not only that, but the other brothers came around and they would work the fields together. And in the summertime especially, they had to uh, kind of coordinate their activities and make sure that everything was, 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 was properly taken care of for the winter. And so they would go out to the fields, and they would come home at sharp, precisely every day at 12 noon. Now, there were five brothers and their father. That made six of them, but that meant there were nine sisters and their mother. That made there were ten of them. So ten women prepared for the six men to come home. And they were getting their food ready. And the food, the noon meal, was the big meal. And it was an interesting experience because I, as a child, saw it as almost a symphony of activity. Because 
10, 10.30 in the morning, they were, they were, you know, they were, this thing was like a machine, baby. This was getting, it was getting ramped up. And they had a, it was a wood stove, and so you had to regulate the wood, and it was in the summertime, so it was warm. And these ladies would be scurrying around, and they would be getting ready about 10, 11, 11, 20, 11, 30. My, my, my grandmother, I can hear her saying, come on, girls, the boys are coming. Come on, girls, the boys are coming. They couldn't be late. You see, men, that's the way it used to be, and let's pray that God will restore us to our heritage. It's a good thing I have a comfortable couch. And, um, and, 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 so, and so she was saying, come on. And sure enough, about right at 12 noon sharp, they would come in the driveway. And into the house they'd come, and they'd immediately go to the sink, and they'd wash their hands, and they'd take a, dip, a dipper of water. They never used a glass with a dipper in it, and they all used the same dipper. They all died of the same disease. Anyway, so, um, so, so they would take the dipper of water, and they, and, they, and they would drink it. And then they'd take their place around the table. The women, by the way, didn't sit down yet because they had to get this, this meal on the table. And I watched this as a little boy. And then my grandfather would go and sit at the head of the table. And he'd put his elbows on the table and he'd say, glory be to God. Now what that meant was, shut up. Because I'm going to pray. And so he would then pray. And then the girls would, everybody stopped when he prayed. But when when this, my aunt's, and my mother and my grandmother would then begin to scurry, and this, this big heaping plate of food would come on the table. And I just watched this in rapt attention. And I thought to myself, someday I'm going to be just like grandfather, with the exception of all the girls scurrying around and preparing me my meals. And, and it was amazing. But you know, it was interesting too that as a little boy, I used to listen to the conversation that my grandfather was having with my, with my uncles and, and my aunts, and they would be discussing what was going on in the fields, and they'd be talking about you know, how good the harvest was going to be, or how, you know, whether they should wait, or how they should time it, or what the weather was going to be like, and whether it was going to be conducive, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the things that would be concerning them for that day. And it was so interesting. And I'm thinking, wow, this is the kind of situation I would love to be in. Isn't this great? <laughs> that, that's, a great that's a great table memory. You, you, you could, I could tell you some other stories of table memories of wonderful things that, that happened. <laughs> but you know what? I, 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 I think if I, if I tried, I could remember, and so could you, In fact, while I was telling my story, you were kind of thinking about some of yours. You were thinking about table memories you have, <laughs> some good ones. But I think if I tried, I could remember some I'd rather forget. Good stories. But then there's some bad ones. There are some tragic events that happen around the table. Well, there's some funny ones. Like one time when our, our daughter, our children were very small, and our daughter, the youngest one, she was very small, and she said to her grandfather, and she, and she adored her grandfather and, and, and just, just loved him but didn't know what she was saying. She said, come on over here and sit beside me, festered face. 
So we had a little meeting, her and I, and we talked about that. But there are some things that happen at tables that we'd like to forget. One I'd almost forgotten until I began to think about this message was several years ago when I was in Canada. I was there without the rest of my family, and I was really, really struggling, and I had some issues that I was dealing with, and I just was, I don't know what was my issue. I was doing some work in northern uh, part of the United States, and so I slipped over to see my parents, and, and uh, I, was, I was just not right. And we went out to eat, and my father and my mother were there, and we were eating, and, and my father said something. And I, and, and I, sometimes I like to say, and he made me angry. <laughs> you know, you don't make, nobody else can make you angry, right? Right? You, you get angry on your own. You, you, you elect to be angry. So, I, but nevertheless, I'll say he made me angry. <laughs> and I got so angry in the restaurant. Now, some of you are starting to wonder, what would you do? Did you pull a gun on him? <laughs> No, I just get up and left. I made a couple of unkind remarks to my father, and I, and I get up and left. And as I think about that today, I think about how immature was that, you know? And a few minutes later, he came out, tried to get me to pay my part of the bill. No, just kidding. Um, he, he came out, and, and chatted with me, and I went back in and sat with him. But I, I, and, and then I was so embarrassed about my behavior. I was so embarrassed that I apologized, you know, obviously I apologized to them and told them all the mistakes they made in raising me, and, and that's why I turned out the way I did. And, um, and, and so uh, I, I'd kind of like to forget that memory, but it was still there. You see, here's what we know. The table reveals the character of those eating at it. It's something about eating with other people that, that um, breaks down barriers. In fact, when you do a lot of cross-cultural study, one of the first things you do when you go to another country, what do the people of that country try to get you to do? They try to get you to eat their food. They want to see if you like their food because that's, what's their, that's that, they're, they're, they're proud of that. But not only that, what's interesting is it's, it's an opportunity for you to let your proverbial hair down. Those of you who have it will understand. You just kind of relax. See? You relax and you just, and you just, you just kind of, it's easy just to let it all hang out. And that's what, that's what happens when you, when you eat with stuff, with, with people, and the stuff of your life comes out. You see, the table reveals the character of those who are eating at it. Jesus understood this, for he too was familiar with the table. And with the characters of those who were at his table, you see, three years walking around with these, with, with these people uh, who traveled with him, he ate countless meals with them. 
And it was at these countless meals, frequently at, um, after uh, great experiences of the miraculous and the supernatural, or great experiences in prayer, or great experiences in discipleship, or great experiences in hearing the teaching of the Master. After all of these things, there would be this, there would be this, 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 this time of fellowship around the table. And you know what? After all these wonderful experiences, sometimes some stuff comes out at the table that he said, what? Didn't you just realize we just came out of church? How many can relate to that? How many know that Sunday meal is interesting, isn't it, sometimes? How many have gone to Sunday meal and have conflict after just being in church? And then one person has the gall to say, wow, you just came from church? Thank you. That's really helping. It's the reason why Ruth and I bring two cars. And so, so here's the deal. Here was Jesus dealing with stuff at the table, doubt, fear, unbelief, pride, competition, disputing, and even betrayal and treachery. These guys were up to their usual pettiness, and it all became revealed by one oversight. Someone forgot to do something. Someone forgot to to hire somebody that was pretty important. You see, this was a special meal, as we've mentioned. This was, this was Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter dinner all put together. This was a momentous occasion. And you didn't have a meal with, like this in an upper room with 13 people meeting together unless you hired somebody to be there who would be there at the beginning of your meal. And that was your foot washer. When they got there, the foot washer wasn't there. There happened to be a foot washer strike. I don't know what the deal was, but the foot washer wasn't there. And someone forgot to get them. And so what happens is they all show up. And immediately they have their defenses on because one says, one looks around and goes, okay, I wonder where, yeah, okay, I wonder who screwed that up. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You do it. No, I'm not. Not my turn. I'm not doing it. I got my best clothes on. And I kind of watch where I walk anyway, and look where you, you'd walk anywhere. And it's back and forth. Someone forgot. And the scripture just says simply that the meal went on, because why do we know that? We say that, that after the meal had been served, the scripture says Jesus got up. And what's interesting is that Jesus got up, and he disrobed himself. He took on the form of a servant. He took on the form of a servant who disrobed himself. Only servants disrobe themselves in front of others. A high-end, high-class person, kind of contrary to today, if you're a superstar, you tend to take most of your clothes off and got to get yourself pictured on Instagram. But that, back then, it was only those who are the lowest class that ever disrobed themselves in front of others. And the Scripture says that after the meal was well served, Jesus gets up. Now, we're not precisely sure in the... In the kind of the liturgy of the meal where Jesus got up to do this, but it says the meal was well underway. And you had these 
13 men all with their feet around the table near the food. 26 dirty hunkers around the food. And here they are. And the scripture says that the Lord of glory, the Son of God and God the Son, gets up and takes a towel and puts it around himself after disrobing himself. And it's interesting how he does this. Because he does it. I don't do this very often. That was not nice, brother, and Jesus is going to judge you. He said I needed a bigger towel. And I've decided I'm not washing his feet. And the scripture says that he, he gets up from the place where he's sitting. Now, to be honest, he never had people sitting in chairs. He had them sitting on the floor. But he does take the pitcher of water and he pours it like this. And what does he do? He begins to wash the disciples' feet. But friends, if you just stop there, you lose the significance of what was happening. Because what's really happening is he's looking into the face of treachery. You see, every one of those people within hours would run away from him. Every one of those people in whose face he looked would walk away from him, would curse him, would lie about him, would join in the crowd. Here's the amazing thing. It's not just that Jesus washed their feet. It's that Jesus washed their feet knowing whose feet he was washing. The old Tony Campolo quote says this, if I knew what you were like, I wouldn't be here speaking to you, and if you knew what I was like, you wouldn't be listening. But here's the difference. Jesus knew what they were like. He knew what was going to take place. He knew his circumstance. He knew why he was there. He knew this was the last Passover he would ever celebrate with them. And in the face of it, he looks into the face of those who would commit some of the most heinous acts of betrayal in human history, and one would commit the greatest act of, of treachery in all of human history. You may name your children John or Peter or James or Bartholomew, but no one names their child Judas. Why? Because to be called a Judas is to be called a betrayer, and yet at the feet of Judas, he washes the filth, the muck, the mire, the defecation of animals off the feet of that man who would betray him. No wonder why the hymn writer wrote, man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah! What a Savior! 
And so he washes their feet. He does what no one else would do. The Lord of glory, think of it. Think of asking the President of the United States to come in and do something humiliating, clean your toilet. Think of, think of this is the Lord of glory. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords himself. This is, this is the lily of the valley. This is the bright and morning star. This is the lover of my soul. This is the one who gave his all for me. This is Jesus, King Jesus. He washes the feet of those who would betray him. And in your life, there is a untouched towel. There's a pitcher of water. There's a basin. It's at your table. And what are you going to do with it? This is the one who would eventually say, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which was shed for you. You see, if I'd have been Jesus, what, what would I have been thinking? I would have been thinking, but these guys, they should be serving me. They should have jumped up and washed my feet. All 12 of them should be at my feet. Why don't you understand? I would be saying, why don't you understand? It's not about you, it's about me. Why don't you sh just stop arguing and be quiet? Why are you being so fickle that you are actually going to betray me? Come on, guys. Don't you realize I would have done anything and am going to do everything for you? Why is one of you going to commit the greatest act of human treachery in history? But no, he says, come on, Barton. Come on, James. You're, you're going to doubt me, but nevertheless, come on. Come on, Peter, you're, you're going to use the F word, and you're going you're to curse me, and you're going to act like you've never known me. You're going to deny me three times, not just once, but three times. Come on, Peter. Come on, James and John, you're always trying to wrestle for position or, around me, and you're, you even get your mama coming to testify on your behalf with me. Come on. Come on, Peter and James. And Peter does that goofy thing. Well, you have to wash my whole body. I mean, oh dear. what a fanatic. Here's the question, beloved. How are you dealing with the junk that's at your table? The junk that's in your home. The junk that takes place in church. Stuff that takes place in the community. I, I want to be careful how I, how I say this because I know that there's like 11 people who watch this online in Asia. And, um, but sometimes in the Nehemiah Project, we have to deal with civic officials and sometimes we don't always agree. What a surprise, right? That we can have different perspectives. And you can have real disagreements with people in the community, with politicians, 
Our present president tends to be a controversial figure. I don't know if you've noticed or heard. What about the stuff that goes on in the workplace? What about in your marriage? What are you doing with the stuff that goes on at those tables? What are you doing with the junk that's being revealed there? What are you doing with all the stuff that you know? Is it the first thing? Is it your first reaction to, to react? Is it your first reaction to get up and run and tell somebody else how aggrieved you've been and how awful it is and how your husband or your wife is wrong or how your, how your children have done this or, or what's happened here or what's happened there or what the boss said or how the community leader treated you or what was going on with, 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 with those around you in the church? Listen to me, friends. How do you respond to the junk that happens at your table? And I say to you, it's time to, re- it's time to go back to the cross. It's time to go back to the Passover. It's time to go back to a m- the last meal. And watch what Jesus did, for Jesus himself said why. He says, as a servant, you're no better than the master. That is to say, if the master's doing it, you better do it. He says, follow what I have done. That's what he says. He tells me that the, that the student is not greater than the teacher. That is to say that the student ought to do at least what the teacher is doing. Let me first of all tell you what I'm, what I'm not asking you to do. I'm not asking you to take your children and put them back into positions where they could be abused again. I've had to deal with that sometimes when, when people would say, well, what are you asking us to do? That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking a wife to go back into a, a physically or, or, or otherwise abusive situation. But I am asking you to serve those who have betrayed you. I take a great example from one of my children who's gone through a divorce, and I watch them as they treat their former spouse with such dignity and with such grace, so much so that the former spouse has sent notes saying thank you for how you include my family in all of the celebrations you're having for our children. And I've talked to that child, and the child has said to me, I want you to know it's not always easy, but my, child are, my children are worth it. And not only that, I've got to honor the Lord. You see, no student is greater than her teacher. There's not a person in this room who cannot tell me maybe one, probably multiple, maybe dozens, maybe even hundreds of times where you have been offended or you have been hurt or you have been wounded or you have been betrayed. And there's been treachery at your table. Let me make three quick points to you. Number one, you become what you focus on. And what you focus on is your idol. You become what you focus on. What you look like, you will become. Some of you are still trying to to comb your hair like Kenny Rogers in the first edition. You need to be careful the kind of dog you buy because you focus on that dog long enough, you'll begin to look like that dog. What you focus on. How many of you said, uh, uh, when, you, when you raise your children, yeah, I won't do that. No, no, no. 
and you focused on all the mistakes your parents made, and then you found out when you raised your kids, you started to do the same thing. How many promised you'd never say, because I told you so? I text that to my children. Here's what we know. We know that when you focus on a wrong and a hurt, you begin to resemble that wrong and that hurt. You begin to live out that thing. I was counseling with a man some time ago, and he was telling me about the, this, the, the opinions that were being expressed by others about him, and, and he was so deeply wounded and so deeply offended by it. And, and, and as he talked to me more and more about it, I said, you know, it's really interesting to me how much respect you have for them. He said, I don't respect them at all. I said, well, you, obviously you do. And he said, how do you know that? I said, because that's the only people you talk about. What you focus on is what you will become, and what you focus on will become your idol. And instead of worshiping at the feet of Jesus, we worship where? At the feet of our offenses and our wounds. You don't believe how badly I've been treated. And friends, I'm not here to minimize how badly you've been treated. Some of you have been treated horrendously. And that's why we appreciate the work of the motorcycle club that's here today because they're out to protect children from being abused and hurt and wounded. Having said that, let me tell you something, friends. Every one of us can say we've been hurt, we've been abused, we've been wounded, we've had something happen to us that's simply overwhelming. And even as I speak, some of you are feeling the, the visceral reaction of anger or, or bitterness or you're feeling like a, a kind of a flight or fight type thing. I'm just here to tell you that's real, that happens. Having said that, is that your idol? Is that the, is that the thing, you're, is that the shrine you're going to worship at every day of your life? You're going to work up in the morning and say, oh my God, 27 years ago someone did this on this particular day? Or are we going to wake up and say, on another particular day, King Jesus came into my life and he changed me and I'm set free by his power and these things no longer have a hold on me. I'm free by the power of the living Christ. What you focus on, you will become. Interesting, isn't it, how many abused become abusers? Secondly, if you are secure in your walk with Christ, you'll be able to do this. I don't know if you're able to do this in the video booth, and I know nothing about the trials you face back there. But if you can go back to that first slide where it had verse number three on it, I would rise up and call you blessed and probably recommend you for a pay raise. Is it possible? Are we there? Look at verse number three. Let's read it together. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. There was security in who he was. The reason why some of us can't pick up the towel is because we don't know whose we are. When you get secure in who you are, you don't have to impress anybody and you don't have to strut your stuff. 
In our town in Canada, there, was, there is a family that's extremely rich. Think of any industry you can think of, and they're into it. Office supplies, restaurants, shipbuilding, oil, on and on. Anybody that's been in the Maritime Provinces knows about the name Irving. But there's a million other companies that don't have their name on it. Forestry, uh, transportation, uh, radio stations, television stations. I mean, just think of any industry. They're into it. Newspapers. Interestingly enough, they, dr- they drive, as, at one point they were the, the ninth richest family in the world, according to Forbes, and they come from our little town. And if you see them going to work in the morning, which is quite often you can see them going to work, they do not have any kind of security, and they drive Ford Crown Victorias. I don't know if they make Crown Victorias anymore, but that's the kind of car they drove. Ultra wealthy, I mean billion and billions and billionaires. I mean, look, more money than Ruth and I have. I mean, a lot of money. And, 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 and I asked my mother, I said, Mom, why, why do they do that? Why, why don't they have like a bodyguard and a chauffeur? Why don't they have all that? My mother said, they don't need to impress anybody. They know who they are. You know the reason why some of us can't do some of these? You know the reason why some of us can't scrub a toilet? Because you're not secure in who you are. You know why some of us can't get down in front of somebody and humble ourselves? It's because we don't know who we are. And so because I don't know who I am, I've got I've to act like I'm somebody that I'm not. Or I've got to puff myself up or make myself feel better about myself. When in fact, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He didn't have to guess who he was. And he had come from God and was returning to God. Security gives you the ability to pick up the towel. The final thing I want to say in these three points is this. Not only have I been offended, but I have been offensive. (laughs) I was expecting a huge amen there. You see, here's the deal. If I were to ask you how many of you have been offended, most of your hands would go up. Maybe two hands. Maybe you'd put up your feet too. And you would, you would, you would say, yeah, I've been offended. And let me tell you all. And we'd do that Oprah windbag thing and we'd run around with a microphone. And you could tell me about all the times you've been offended. Jerry, I've been through the ringer. And you could tell me all your stories. And the people you have in your mind who've offended you, if we were to get rid of you in this room and bring in all the people you have in your mind who've offended you, and then we were to ask them the same question, they would raise their hand. And you know who they'd be thinking about? <laughs> this wild. They'd be thinking about us. Well, maybe not us specifically, but somebody else. Somebody's offended them. But many times they'd be thinking about us. You see, not only have I been offended, I have been offensive. And how do I want to be treated when there's grime all over my life? Remember many years ago, I was still in Bible college. That was just after the Bible was written. 
And, and um, I was in Bible college, and I was working with this particular church. And the, and the particular church had a pastor who was a little bit, little, little, he was a little bit, he was wacky. And, and I got there and was helping out and being fairly regular, but and really regular and, you know, traveling, et cetera, and being with him. And, and then I opened my mouth and I said some things I ought not to have said. In a couple of weeks, the local area representative of the denomination, they call him a presbyter, he called me to his office. And I knew what I was there for, and it wasn't for tea. And I had a couple days before I had to go, you know, so I was just like awake all night and all of that. And then the day came, and I went to his office, and he had an absolute gorgeous, I mean, just beautiful, brand-new building and beautiful office. And I sat there in this nice furniture, and the longer I sat there, the smaller I became, you know, just feeling like two cents worth of dog meat and that half rotten. And, um, and then I went in to see him. And he mentioned the situation, and, and I did what I ought to have done. I profusely apologized and told him how wrong I was and and how I know that he could, he could hinder my, my ministry calling. He could say, you know, he's not worthy to be in ministry. And frankly, what I did made me somewhat unworthy. I tried to undercut the leadership of another person. And he looked across the desk at me and he said, Peter, my job is not to keep people out of the ministry. My job is to get people into the ministry. I want you to know you're forgiven. And I want you to know we hold you in high esteem and we'll do anything we can to help place you in ministry. And that ministered to my soul. I've watched my wife after some of the most vile things have come out of my mouth and I'm not saying for a moment she wasn't offended, she was. And sometimes still can be. But I've watched her not just once or twice or a dozen times or two dozen times, but hundreds of times in the, in, in the, the generations we've been married. I, we, it's been a long time. But I've watched her serve the man who had so often said things and done things that I ought not to have done and said. You see, in every one of our lives, there's a towel. What will you do with those who have betrayed you, who, who will betray you? How will you respond? Are you greater than the teacher? Are you greater than the master? Do you have some rights that he didn't have? No, he humbles himself, takes off his robe, and puts the towel around him and washes the feet of those Will you wash the feet of those who've betrayed you? Will you serve those who've made your life a living hell? You see, there is an untouched towel in a basin in your life waiting for the secure, those who know who they are and what their purpose is and who will pick up the towel. What's the Scripture say? The Scripture says, That if you do this, 
what will happen? You'll be blessed. Note this. This is how we conclude. Note this. This is not for them to be blessed. The whole lesson here is not for them to be blessed, although they will be blessed. When my wife forgives me, when, when that preacher forgave me decades ago, when, when others have turned and blessed me, even in the face of my betrayal, when I was offensive, when, when all that happened, yes, they bless me, but in the end, let me tell you, this is not about somebody else getting blessed. This is about you walking in the touch and the blessing of God in your life. And friends, there is no freedom until you let go and you say, I'm a child of the king and I'm not greater than the master. And as a student, I'm not greater than my teacher. And if my teacher did it and my master does it, I'm going to do it too. I'm going to bless those who would betray me. I'm going to bless those who wounded me. I'm going to minister to those who've made my life a living hell. I'm going to do it. Why? Because I will be blessed if I honor him. What Psalm 23 and 5 say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's what happens when you bless. Is God starts to prepare a table for you. Now there are children, there are grandchildren, there are former spouses, there are ex-bosses, there are current bosses. There are people sitting in this room with other people sitting in this room. There are situations even with people who have since gone on to their eternal reward. In other words, they've died. And you're still dealing with it. And my encouragement to you today is to pick up, my colleagues are coming, to pick up the, ta- pick up the towel. That means the musicians are coming. You can come this way, sister. We all know you're coming. Just come this way. Come on, brother. You can come. Yes, just, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, welcome right up here. No, it's, no it's, it's not really special. No teachers are above the master, you know, it's, it's whatever. You know. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the basin and the pitcher? What are you going to do with the towel? You see, some of you need to leave this place today. And you know what you need to do? You need to get before the Lord and determine what to do. And again, I'm reminding you, I'm not asking you to put yourself in danger or put your children in danger and anything like that. I am asking you, however, to let your heart and let the Spirit of God direct your heart. For some of you, you know what it means? You need to go and get your checkbook out and write a check. Some of you need to write, a, write an email. Some of you need to buy an airplane ticket and go make a visit. Don't stay with them. Get a hotel. But go make a visit. Some of you need to make a phone call. Some of you 
just need to get with somebody else. Maybe, somebody, so maybe you're a young person and something's happened to you in your youth and it's been overwhelming to you and, and, and the person who did it to you, you don't even know who it is or maybe they're long gone or maybe they're in prison or whatever they may be and maybe you just need to get another adult and just let them represent that person and just before, before that other person, just say, I forgive you, would you forgive me? And start the process of the work of reconciliation in your own life. I'm not denying something bad hasn't happened. All I'm saying to you is, how long do you want to remain a victim? And are you secure enough to take off your outer robe, humble yourself, put on, put on the towel, and wash somebody else's feet? Even when you know all that you know. The amazing thing about my wife is she loves me anyway. Maybe that's what I should put on my tombstone. Ruthie, baby, love me anyway. What are you going to do with the towel? Let's pray. Let's just take a moment. You talk to Jesus on your own. I'm going to ask you not to talk, sweetheart. I'm going to ask you not to talk. Talk to the Lord on your own for a minute. Say, Lord, what do I do with this? You know what Joe did. You know what proverbial Mary did. How do I respond? Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Maybe it's somebody you haven't spoken to in 50 years. just affirm together right now we're not greater than our master huh can you just tell Jesus Jesus I'm not greater than you are can you just start there and just say Jesus I know who I am in you and, and, and I thank you that you're my Lord and my Savior and you set me free I'm not greater than you are And if you did it, I know you'll give me the grace to do it. So would you help me? Would you help me? I have been more offensive than I have been offended and I've been blessed more than I've ever blessed anybody else and if it's weighed in the balances I owe a lot more than I'm owed I'm not greater than my master how many all over this room would say to me the spirit of God speaking to me today 
if you'd raise your hand with mine all over this room, the Spirit of God speaking to me today, all over this room, hundreds and dozens and dozens, I should say, are raising their hand all over this room. How many would raise your hand with me and say, Spirit of God speaking to me today? Spirit of God speaking to me today? Spirit of God speaking to me today? Come on. I even say, raise your, wave your hand back and forth. Say, I'm not greater than my master. I'm not greater than my master. I'm just a child of the king. And if he did it, I can do it. All over this room, I say there's victory in Jesus today. How about you? There's victory in Jesus today. Now what you're going to do? Oh, come to the Father. Come on, let's do that. I'm going to invite you to come and find a place of prayer. I will not take you long through this time. Just come and just, just, hey, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to do something about this. Come on, let's stand. Let's sing.